Welcome to the Functional Human Podcast. At the most basic level, human beings need connection and belonging to flourish. The courage to be our true, authentic selves and embrace vulnerability is the gateway to that connection. People often see vulnerability to be weakness, and this goes against everything they've been taught about what it means to be a man. However, by not expressing themselves fully, men, even more than women, tend to suffer silently, which often leads not only to substance abuse, addiction, poor health, and suicide, but also to struggles at home, work, and in relationships. Let's pull the curtain back and be honest about the things that people feel ashamed about, the things that can take courage to face. Let's expose the mystery, because it's not mysterious. It's actually just human nature. Functional fitness training develops the physical attributes people need to meet the actual challenges they will face. My challenge to you is to apply these principles to the entirety of your life. This means training as a whole person to prepare for what we really experience, loss, change, uncertainty, adversity, feelings of worry and doubt. Train to develop the skills of resilience and create the state of mind that allows you to flourish, regardless of circumstances, to enjoy the good life. The functional human approach is to be matter of fact, low key, and even humorous about the human condition. You'll find real people being real about their journey, sharing their wisdom so that we can all get the best out of this life. Welcome aboard. All right, we're good to go. Cool. All right, so let's start again. So welcome to the Functional Man Podcast. I'm Ben O'Brien, and I'm with here today with William Tucker. You go by Tuck, yes, right? Sir. So Tuck and I met um, on a call. I, I was actually at work, and we were running a call at uh, New Beginnings Recovery Center. And you were out front, and we just started chatting up the conversation. Sure did. Right. And my mission with the functional human is just to be normal about basically the struggles that we all go through. Right. And you were super open about it. You're like interested in talking about what's going on with you. So I'm like, I normally do emergency responders, but I was like, we got to have talk on the podcast. I appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Cool. So I guess where did we start? Like, why did you, why did you want to do this? Um, well, because I'm not going to lie, but um, I've been through the system in and out of jails. Right. Seen a lot of judges, and I had a judge tell me one time, he was like, Mr. Tucker, from what you just presented to me, I know if you are an open book to those going through that same struggle, you're going to change lives, and in return, it's going to change your life, and we won't ever see you in court again. Right. And he was, he could have been more right because I've gotten the feedback from fellow peers going through, you know, uh, parole appointed. Um, counseling and therapies mm -hmm. that we're doing in a group setting and I get guys coming up to me saying wow thank you so much for opening up and sharing your struggle your testimony because now I got a new perspective on my own right it gives me some kind of hope so that's awesome yeah so that meaning probably helps you I would guess like when you're struggling yourself right I oh mean, there's some purpose to this definitely definitely so um, you know many when I got, when I got out of prison the first time mm -hmm. um, my father's an old farm boy from Texas. And, right. Uh, he had anger issues when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. um, no fault on his own. He was just right. doing with what he knew best. Right. But um, when I went to prison, I went into prison on a violent case. Mm -hmm. And um, I was drunk and high at the time. I took a guy into custody for a bondsman. Um, the judge saw leniency on me and put me in for a very minimum amount of time. Right. But while in there, I took a alternatives to violence class that changed my whole outlook on understanding that emotion of anger uh -huh. and so when I got out and by living a different way of life my father he had actually opened up to me and said thank you son oh wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know that old uh, teacher students student right teacher thing kind of reversed it to me that was it was impactful because, you know, me and my dad had a rocky relationship for many years. And yeah. I, before he divorced my mom, I mean, we had an understanding. And I believe I did help my father understand that emotion of anger, which a lot of men seem to have. Yeah, that's what we're kind of taught. Like, we don't have a whole lot of yeah. other Well, we're emotional. told we're not to have feelings. We don't cry. We don't express those feelings. Right. And I've learned that when we don't express those feelings in a productive way, it's like a soda bottle. 
you shake it. Right. And usually when it opens up, it explodes. And mm -hmm. usually it's on the wrong person for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I've mm -hmm. learned to express when I'm upset, mm -hmm. you know, and wow, it's been profound. And that was many years ago. Yeah, so tell me, well, tell me a little about about your journey, like, or how much do you well, want to disclose? I, I will disclose the whole thing because I believe everybody has something to learn from it. Mm -hmm. um, I started using methamphetamines when I was 14 years, 15 years old. Um, I didn't realize the dangers because it was I never heard of when I was in dare class, you know? Right. But when I started using, um, my folks didn't know. They thought I was going through that puberty thing and right i was calming down which really i was self-medicating i didn't realize that the stimulant was actually bringing me down a little bit uh -huh. to have some kind of self-control mm -hmm. um that's why i stayed in my addiction for so long was because it kind of did help me right um but then it did later become a problem and i remember i was about uh i was younger i was at 19 years old when I mm -hmm. finally told my folks, you know, hey, I've been using meth and now it's becoming a problem. And I asked them to help me go into rehab. And I went to the adult rehab for the Salvation Army mm -hmm. for six months inpatient. Mm -hmm. um, got out and I relapsed right away. I didn't really take the serious the program serious. Right. But um, I was numbing a different part of me. Um, my son, who was born in Montana, Mm -hmm. um, I lost all his mom's contact information, so I was able to contact her until she had already met another man who wanted to adopt my son, uh -huh. wanted to sign parental rights, and I wasn't for it. And so, because he wasn't there in my life, the reasons why I went to rehab kind of weren't there. So, so this is your 19 at the time and you have a son? Or? Uh, I was, uh, it's hard for me to remember all the ages and dates, but <laughs> I do remember it was the first time I had tried to attempt to get clean and sober. Right. And my thing was, is I was gonna get out, I was gonna move to Montana and uh, be a part of my son's life. Right. But in the process of being in there, I, my parents had lost their house that they had bought. Um, I don't know what happened with all my belongings, but yeah, the contact information that I had to reach her at her mom's house, which mm -hmm. she had my son, was lost. And so I just, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't know how I would find her. I mean, MySpace wasn't out, Facebook wasn't around. Mm -hmm. and. I was just lost. I didn't know what to do. And so I just started numbing those feelings of, man, my dreams have been shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember showing up at my mom's house and getting a letter from her. And it was her saying, hey, so sign over your parental rights. I have a man that wants to adopt your son and mm -hmm. you won't have paid child support. And I remember spawning in a way of, F that, blah, blah, blah. You right, know, with anger. Yeah, right. exactly right. Because that was before I went to prison. Right. And, um, I stayed trapped in my addiction until I went to prison for the first time in uh, 2010. Okay. Yeah, so we're talking, well, I got so my- So in your late 30s, right? Yeah, so- or early 30s. It was 2005 when I went to the Salvation Army. Okay. And- uh, When were you born? Just so I can keep- I was born in 1981. Okay, yep. okay. And so 2005, I go and get clean and sober for the first time for six months, come out, and I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that relapse is when I found out she had met another man, mm -hmm. you know, and I was kind of heartbroken because I was in love with the girl. I was, the reason why I went and got sober, I wanted to be the most strong, supportive dad I could possibly be in my son's life. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got that letter, I mean, it just sent me down a rabbit hole that eventually led me to prison. Mm -hmm. um, I took a guy into custody for a bondsman um, that I happened to know mutually through, you know, all the... Yeah. Mess and. Well, because you're kind of in like the mess, right? Yeah, you're the mess. <laughs> contacted by police or whatnot, and yeah. then right. Yep. And, um, yeah. And yeah, you're a bigger guy, right? Yeah. So probably yeah, it, natural it, fit. And not only that, I was pretty violent when I did it. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's a, a regret that I'll always live with. That you know, I had this man detained on the back porch, mm -hmm. and he said something smart. I I don't know what he came out of his mouth, but I was drunk. I just kicked him with my boots right in the face. Mm -hmm. And the way I live my life is that is not how a man, that, I mean, I was always taught if you get in a fight and you knock the man down, you pick him back up and right. you ask me, is this done? And if not, you handle it like men. Mm -hmm. But you never kick him in when he's down and when he can't defend himself. Uh -huh. And so that messed with me. And that's why when I was in prison, I used that for an opportunity 
to become everything I wanted to be in life. Right. Um, I was a clean mind. Mm-hmm. And so my book, my mind, my book was Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. Lazo Tazo, however you spell, uh, pronounce his name, but these were made of spiritual teachings. Right. And um, I just kind of let that be my guide throughout prison. You know what I find really interesting about what you said, and you know, I think I think you realize this doesn't come with judgment, but you're at a time in your life where you're using alcohol. I mean, you're drunk at work, basically, right? Right. <laughs> your your work is a little different, but you're using meth. Yeah. You know, so I think a lot of people would say that dude's, you know, a meth user, he's a drinker. And and what I find really cool is it seems like one of the things that really bothered you is that you've kind of violated your own principles, Very right? Which is like, this is how I want to be acting in this more honorable way. Right. And and that's what bothered you about, like, you know, what, what happened to you. Definitely so. Yeah. Definitely so. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so when I got to prison, uh-huh. you know, Always met guys coming in and out of prison. Mm-hmm. I never saw any kind of correction in their behavior. You know, they were all still in the game of dealing drugs, manipulating people. And I wasn't going to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. I refused to. And um, and the blessings that were bestowed upon me when I got out of prison, mm-hmm. I completed parole successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to college up at Red Rocks through the Gateway program. Okay. Um, Catherine Lockman, she is the founder of the Gateway Program. She used to be a Boulder uh, County police officer. So that's to help people that have been discharged from the prison. Yeah. Prison, right. Um, the recidivism rate of those who graduated that program mm-hmm. was outnumbered. I mean, it was the success rate was so highly sought that I was like, oh man, that's where I'm going. And so right. um, I did that. And while doing that, um, I had an opportunity to become a security officer down on the 16th Street Mall mm-hmm. uh, because a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, Ken Ziegler, um, his mom saw work ethic in me and saw the man I had become when I was on parole. Right. I was no longer the kid that she remembered. Mm-hmm. And so she was managing a company downtown and she was like, would you like a job? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, it's more money. Well, I became a security guard at 16th and Champa right on the corner. And um, little did I know is I was making a name for myself with the police department down there and the partnership of downtown Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, In what I, way? Well, they told me right as the time I lost my job as doing security and right around the time that the downtown Denver partnership picked me up to do code enforcement for Patio 16. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized the impact that I had on the mall was that we would have these neighborhood watch meetings and um, a representative from the Denver Police Department would show up and key members of the city and the downtown uh-huh. partnership, we'd all meet like once a week. And they said that because of the impact I had on a three block radius of where I had my post <laughs> right. was positive. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was because of a lot of the things I had taught myself while in prison about just loving your human being. I don't mm-hmm. care what walk of life they're walking, what kind of struggles they are in, mm-hmm. just show them love and compassion. Right. And that's how I did everyone. I didn't care if you were wearing a suit or if you smell like piss and crap. And Yeah, you can say that on this. <laughs> I, yeah, I, right. I had to treat everybody with love. Uh-huh. Um, and I believe that was the key to what brought so many more doors opening up to me. So, like I said, I opened up Patio 16, which is still open downtown on 16th mm-hmm. Street Mall. It's between Stout and California, right okay. by Jamba Juice. Uh-huh. And uh, me and another fellow who were on parole at the time that had made his own impression out on the mall and was noticed by the downtown partnership. Right. Me and him did code enforcement for Patio 16, just not allowing people to smoke within the gated off rail. Right. And... Um, it was just, it was so fun, but it was a seasonal job. Mm-hmm. Well, Cord, my boss, who runs everything on the mall, said, uh, there's a new contract. New contractors are taking over the bid, which the bid is the guy in purple that do all the maintenance on the malls, mm-hmm. snow removal. And she was like, I would like you to go to work for them because we want your presence on this mall. And mind you, I'd been down there for almost three years at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Are you, you're clean at this point? Yeah, I was yeah. clean and sober. Um, 
I got the job doing warehouse managing, um, running the trucks with the snow piles up and down the mall. Right. Mind you, being the guy who doesn't have such a clean driving record, uh, <laughs> never had any DUIs up at that point. Um, I was the only, I was one of the few people that was on the insurance of the company. And mm -hmm. that just blew my mind, but I knew that it was higher powers working. Right. And I took that job very seriously. I loved it. Um, through the fortunes of, uh, I met a girl, she got pregnant, and that was where that peak of life was, right? When I'm gonna right. start my life again, you know, right. to have a kid and uh -huh. possibly marry this lady and right. move out of mom and dad's and buy a house. And who knows what, you know? Right. But uh, she ended up having a miscarriage mm -hmm. and that's where I relapsed. Okay. Because um, like I said, I didn't understand the emotional part so well. I knew right. what anger and all that was, but the sadness, depression, all that, mm -hmm. I was so unaware of. Mm -hmm. um, so I relapsed, I ended up losing my job within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, back on meth? Back on meth, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was my go-to to numb those feelings, you right. know? Um, and yeah, for five years, I was, now shooting up dope, which I had never stuck a needle in my arm up until that point. So heroin? Nope. No, just, just meth. Yeah, just meth. That's right. always been my go-to. Never really uh -huh. had a drinking problem. Right. Um, I did when I was younger, but never got in trouble with the law while drinking, you know? Right. Um, I come from a family of alcoholics. I mean, my grandmother died in her alcoholism, mm -hmm. my grandfather his, um, but they were always functioning alcoholics, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just never went down that road. I knew where it led. Doing security for so long in the bars and stuff, I just didn't like Interesting. Not having the control of. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of anger, people don't have control is in that anger. So that's right. what steered me away from it was knowing me being the big guy and the way I used to black out in my rages, the state far away from alcohol, you know? Because yeah. to me, that's a mood enhancer. And okay, right. Well, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's suppressing that control part of your brain. Yeah, definitely so. We're, I find it really interesting because when, you know, I was younger, like, just like, I don't know why, but my perception was people that did pot or drugs, you know, they were just, I had a lot of judgment, but alcohol was all right. Right. I totally, I mean, I <laughs> I quit drinking on my 21st birthday because I was such a drinker through high school right. and college. Yeah, yeah, you know? I, so, I relate because that's when I was drinking too, much younger than 21. Yeah, but I look back on it and it's like, the drinking certainly didn't serve me right. and who knows, right? So I just I just find it interesting that your, your numbing thing choice was meth, yeah. right? And yeah, mine was alcohol, so. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the fact that it was meth caused you? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, right? Well, like I said, caused you more trouble because that was an illegal drug. Well, no, it caused me more trouble because it did also become the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like to say, you know, maybe I, that was a way of my addictive brain trying to keep me going back to using it again. Like, right. oh, this is helping me more than hurting me. Right. But I have to remember the story, play it out to the end where it became the problem itself, where mm -hmm. I couldn't go a day without using. Mm -hmm. I stayed using all day long. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, when I started putting the needle in my arm, that came with a whole nother territory I wasn't aware of. Cause I remember the judgment I had on those who use needles mm -hmm. was never good. Mm -hmm. Now that I am one of them guys, it was hard to look myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And being well of all these values and morals and principles that I hold in my life and not being able to see myself in the mirror mm -hmm. was another challenge all on its own. Uh -huh. And I stayed in that addiction for almost four five years. Wow. Um, I got in trouble again. Toxic ex-girlfriend. I was running red lights intentionally, mm -hmm. and I ended up kissing a median. And there was a cop right at the intersection who saw it all go down and right. pulls me over. And yeah, that got me arrested. And I did a bunch of time in county jail. Eventually went to the halfway house. Mm -hmm. But while at the halfway house, without knowing about my emotional state and how it's affecting me, I had to deal with a lot of deaths. Two very close friends of mine died on the same day. Their funerals were on the same day. Right. And I relapsed all at the halfway house. Uh -huh. And so by trying to take ownership and admitting to what, you know, I relapsed before being UA'd and mm -hmm. thinking, you know, this is about transparency now. If I'm going to overcome this addiction problem, I got to be transparent every time I use. Um, but that ended up biting me in the butt as well because, you know, at the time I was a mentor to my fellow peers because mm -hmm. of 
the way I was doing it, but by doing it too many times, um, they wanted to send me to a rehab and still charge me rent. They were setting me up pretty much for failure, so I had nothing when I got out. No so, money. I mean, you still had this drive and you wanted to mentor people, but... Yeah, but I'm still had... trying to struggle within myself as well, so... Right. How do you mentor somebody when you're still stuck in it with them? Yeah. Well, I ended up self-regressing from the halfway house, signed a letter saying, I'm refusing this program, just send me back to prison. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start out on parole. Well... Cool, yeah. They sent me back to prison. Problem was, there was a lot of drugs in prison, so I stayed using while in prison. Mm -hmm. I get out, I'm on parole, I'm working a full-time job, but I am still using the needle and getting high. Hmm. My parole officer's like, hey, your UAs are hot, but you're holding down a job, you're going to class, you're paying your restitution. Right. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing because <laughs> this is not working. <laughs> and... I ended up completing parole successfully while high. Still blows my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then again, it was where COVID came into play. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, they couldn't, they didn't want to put you back in Right. They right. didn't want no contact with anybody. Like, so right. that's when I knew if I needed and wanted this change, I'm going to have to do it for myself, by myself. And thank God I got an auntie who got several years clean and sober and she recommended me to New Beginnings mm -hmm. because my auntie was a junkie. Mm -hmm. I remember I couldn't stand her in her addiction. Mm -hmm. She was just too much to bear. Right. Uh, but I never knew she stuck a needle on her arm until mm -hmm. just recently. Mm -hmm. But um, I saw what this program had did for her mm -hmm. and now she's a coordinator at one of Mary's other houses. Mm -hmm. And um, she was my driving force. You know, she was somebody I could relate to because now I wasn't alone in my family trying to get clean and sober. I had somebody I could turn to that was... Yeah, you had a mentor, I guess, that was further yeah, down the path, right? Yeah, definitely so. The least person I least expected. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I dedicated myself and said, if I want better, I got to do this on my own. Yeah. And thank God for Mary and the impact my aunt has had on Mary because Mary told me when I commenced, she was like, if it wasn't for your aunt, you never would have been allowed in here. Oh, okay. You know, right. my record. And Mary runs New Beginnings. Yes, ma'am. And then this program. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh -huh. like I said, there's always powers greater than I am aware of that have been working in my life. Right. Um, that got me in there. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what I needed thing with my addiction is I've never experienced anything sober. When I started my addiction, I was working at a 24-hour bowling alley pool hall. Mm -hmm. um, everything I ever did in life, I was under the influence. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to socialize being sober. Yeah. Well, being at New Beginnings. What's the difference? I mean, what? Well, so at New Beginnings, she has a place called the Sober Underground. Mm -hmm. And it's right across the street from the Littleton Cafe. Okay. In that little shop at center. It's yeah. downstairs in the basement. Uh-huh. And it's a place where people who are sober can go play pool, foosball, listen to a live band. Right. And have a supportive atmosphere to do it. So what do you, I'm just curious, like, what do you notice? Like, like what's the struggle when you are now sober to experience? Like, how is the experience different? Or it, well, it feels like it's more stressful because you're coping, like I, you know, coping mechanisms can be good or bad, right? Right. And coping is just how we, make ourselves feel better in the moment. And so sometimes right. it's productive, maybe like exercise or getting outside well, or you know, going the, to church. You and... get that runner's high when you work out, mm -hmm. right? You get those endorphins going. Mm -hmm. um, then there are some things that I've learned along this little path. And mm -hmm. it's called, you know, uh, there's four areas you have to work on in life to have a balance. And that's spiritual, social, mm -hmm. physical, and uh, what was the other? Mental, emotional. Yeah, right, very uh -huh. much so. And so by doing well, like this new way of life that I'm doing, I'm living in a sober living. Mm -hmm. So no one's allowed to be here under the influence. Mm -hmm. So that makes it way easier to deal with your environment when they're of sound mind as yourself. Right. Um, that are all striving for a better life. Right. But there's a whole other twist to it. Um, I've gotten baptized. I go to Mary's um, church mm -hmm. um, that she, she pastors. And right after that, I follow it up with Red Rocks up here in Littleton. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got baptized. And I go to their recovery on Friday nights. And then I go to the Sober Underground on Friday nights. 
Um, my phone number is for anybody who's going through treatment. If they need a ride to a doctor's appointment, to court, to whatever it is, if they're right. trying to help themselves, I am more of service to them. And that's what's keeping me sober. Cause that so is- So how do you define success for yourself? Like um, success to me is- um, Like today, like when you get through at the end of the day or the end of the week, like what, did, what made it a successful week? If I help somebody. Yeah. Money is not my driving force. Mm-hmm. Being, I would like to make enough money to meet my needs. Right. But I'm trying to simplify my needs to a very basic because right. I find just having that human connection, um, helping others in need, um, that's just what puts a smile on my face. Right. Um, right. I like to break down my barriers of my past by doing right. the most for people, and being more community involved. Right. Um, cause I believe that's what success is. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, you know, so <laughs> talk, cause I was just, um, working with a group of firefighters yesterday and we were talking about like actually resilient skills and how you thrive. And one of the principles I believe in that's worked for me is just more broadly defining success, you know, so we can get in this trap maybe as firefighters of, we want to go to a structure fire or, um, you know, a car accident or run a cardiac arrest. But like, I, what I realized is that when I had to experience those things in order to feel like I was like, that was a good day. And then it's like, I had really few opportunities. But when then I can be like, oh, well, I can, I can help the people that I'm working with, you know, the officer, the engineer, the rookie firefighter, maybe the right. medic, right? right? Yeah, and to me, so that's just been a, a huge breath of fresh air for me, just like way more broadly to like connect with other people. Right. And yeah, it feels, like, it feels like success. Yeah. To me, if I can be more comfortable in my skin when I'm absolutely alone, mm-hmm. that means I'm becoming successful. Um, because I've always had a problem with being alone with myself. Because, you know, I thought I was all these things that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I had um, a negative voice in my head telling me, no, you're not good enough. No, you can't succeed. You'll uh-huh. never be anything. Right. And so I'm learning to have this other voice come into play into my life. Like, I won't even lie to you. I was apprehensive about doing this because it was like out of my comfort zone. Right. But not really. Uh-huh. But just having that voice just saying, oh, you nobody. What's out of your comfort zone? Just like, is it It's people doing, judging you maybe or? Well, the, I've been judged all my life. Right. Especially by a man who does it for a living. <laughs> right, right. Um, I grew up poor. Um, Mom and dad did the best they could, you right. know. They were both struggling at, to raise us. Uh-huh. But they always kept a roof over our house. Right. My mom grew up on the streets, you know. Uh-huh. She knows the struggle, but she made sure me and my sister never did. Mm-hmm. She's my rock today, and after this interview, I'm going up there to pick up some chicken noodle soup. Uh, so, awesome. you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. The judgment of others doesn't really bother me, especially now that I've learned when I'm transparent, I can break down a lot of those judgments that people hold mm-hmm. that normally would look, you know, at an addict a certain way. Right. Or look at a guy that, you know, I'm tattooed up all over. Right. Um, but I am become to be known as the big teddy bear that cares and right so that's to me that's another thing of success is breaking down the judgments of people mm-hmm. that you know want to talk hardly harshly on something they know nothing about right and so i'm trying to get i want to get licensed in this thing called heart math mm-hmm. um dr joe Despeza. Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. aware of him? I know of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. This program, right? Yeah, he uh, he's a part of the Heart Math Institute. I learned the right. Heart Math through um, Mary's actually, mm-hmm. and I find a, a passion for it. Right. All living creatures have a field of a shield around them that comes from the heart, mm-hmm. and they can actually measure it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just another thing that enforces the way I'm doing things. Um, if I'm doing it out of love, kindness, compassion, um, right? There's a list of all the things that come out of the Bible over there uh-huh. hanging somewhere on the wall, but those are the things that we do to show love. And to me, that's God. Yeah. It's the love that we show one another. So I guess I'm curious, like what I'm seeing hearing a lot of, and I find so similar is that like how limited like our socialization as men can be right. in society, right. like with really limiting like what emotions <laughs> could or should have. Right. Yeah. Very much so. Um, 
Yeah, you know, look at me, you wouldn't think I'm a softie, but you know, I watched I Am Sam the other morning and I was bawling uncontrollably with sadness, joy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was all coming out in tears. I mean, I was yeah. blubbering. Thank God. How did that I'm, feel? Afterward, it felt renewing. Yeah. You know, um, I, this is one of my favorite sayings, baptize yourself in your own tears. Uh-huh. Because like I said, uh, through pain comes growth. Yes. Any kind of pain. Yeah, um, that's how we started it. That's why like, wait a minute. I want to press the record button. Through pain comes growth. Right, right. Yeah. Um, huh. I've come to love pain because of it, because I know that that's there for a reason. Right. And it can be transforming. Right. And so... You know, I had an experience, you know, I went through, you know, I got, I was, got divorced, but, um, and I was in a really low place and I went to this awesome retreat in California. Um, but one thing I kind of learned was just to really be happy for people when they're expressing pain and sadness. So it used to be, I think <laughs> we, a lot of times aside, people are crying we're like, oh, don't cry. But for me, when I see someone crying, like particularly if I see Let a man out. crying, Let I'm, I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't feel good that you are experiencing that pain that you're expressing with tears. And a lot of times it's not pain, but it's like, that is awesome. Right. That's this capability that so, I think we stunt as men, right? Well, it's yeah, like, we're taught, you know. It kills know, us, it literally kills us. We're told to be bad soldiers, like strong soldiers. Um, right. You know, I can remember as a kid, I had a collection of fake guns like you wouldn't believe, and we always played war, and right. um, like I said, men didn't cry. Right. That's just how it was, and as I got older, I seen how much it held me back that I didn't know about my emotions or how to express them. Right. And Or even to know what they were, right? Yeah, acknowledge them. Right. And so that's Because I remember I would feel bad. I felt bad, and but the only thing I knew was like irritability and anger. Right. And I was always like, well, what about the situation is, is pissing me off? <laughs> and it's like, that's truly, it was underneath, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's... So like same circumstance with you. Oh, very much so. Very uh -huh. much so. Like I said, if somebody hurt me feeling-wise, the only way I knew how to respond so they could feel what I'm feeling back was hit them. Hit them or yeah. numb. Or numb. <laughs> but once I put these down in anger, mm -hmm. you know, that numbing thing was the go-to. Um, fight or flight, uh, give me a chance. I will walk away from the situation. I will always run unless I'm backed into a corner. Right. Um, doing security is another thing. I'm there to maintain the peace, so I'll go right for the fight to bring the peace back to where it mm -hmm. needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I've been so good and got acknowledged downtown was that I was one of the very few security guards that didn't need to go mess right. somebody up or take advantage if they're drunk and can't really defend themselves. Right. I always gave them an opportunity. Either you walk yourself out or I walk you out, you know? Mm -hmm. And even if I had to walk them out, I didn't want to do it in a anger state of mind. Yeah. I did it out of love and compassion. I, I know the answer for me, but I mean, have you ever had anything really good happen when you've been in an angry state of mind? I haven't. I can't tell you of one time at all. Right. Ever. Uh-huh. Um, but I do know of everything coming good when I'm coming from the heart with mm -hmm. love. There's never let me down. Right. And so I look forward to trying to get men to open up about their feelings, mm -hmm. showing that they do have feelings. Mm -hmm. um, I don't care what kind of background you come from. I don't care what kind of abuse you come from. Mm -hmm. um, you can turn all that around. You can become the man you want to be. Right. Um, you're not a circumstances of your history by no means. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're sober now. Yep. And I am you're working on being, working in the automotive industry. Yep. Giving back to the culture seems, you know, people a big part of your, yeah, like. Yeah, that is my, some of the men I looked up to going through prison was people like Gandhi, mm -hmm. uh, Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. um, JFK, extraordinary men. Right. That came from the heart. Right. Their message has had that much of an impact on me. Um, so I guess, I mean, like I'm sitting across from you now and like, immediately when we met 
like in the parking lot at New Beginnings, like, oh, this guy's awesome. And, <laughs> you know, my officer at the time is like, you got to get that guy in your podcast. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That, is, I do. that just makes me smile from ear to ear. Yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. I can't tell you how much though, how similar like your experience is to the experience of many of the emergency responders I work with, right? And in, in numbing, you know, this woman I was teaching with yesterday works for the International Association of Firefighters and the that organization has this place called, what the heck is it called? Um, it's a recovery center for, you know, fire firefighters that are dealing with drug, alcohol, any kind of addiction recovery center, you oh, know? Wow. And it's the same right. process of, of trying to figure out a way to not feel the emotions that they're feeling. Right. So, um, like, what is your now process to um, experience those feelings that you're feeling without moving towards the, the need to them. numb them? Acknowledging them. Mm-hmm. Feel them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, to me, so that's is that kind of like an understanding that like like just feel them and they'll pass you'll get through them well, the or i mean so you know what i mean because a lot I of think people are way like, to deal with them is first by what do you do when you're an addict you acknowledge you're an addict mm-hmm. and you have no control right so same thing with the emotions acknowledge them for what they are try to find why you're feeling them first of all right and if it's a grieving thing it could be any kind of grieving of a loss of somebody of uh, the pain or torment or hurt that somebody's put upon you, mm-hmm. forgive them for what they do not know, what they did to you. Mm-hmm. So like kind of curiosity, be curious about, Yeah. how would you tell or how would you convey to someone, just like a young man um, that's kind of been conditioned or just developed that habit to respond in anger? things to because anger is mainly like the only time it's really helpful is when you're like your safety or something is violated yeah when you're violated but so often it's just like you feel violent we feel quote-unquote violated because of like pain of disconnection or pain of you know not being able to be there for your son so how do you like what's your take or how would you advise a man that's not familiar with doing that just to even start well, for instance, um, when I found out um, that my son was my son was just less than a year ago, mm-hmm. I found his mom's Facebook and saw pictures of him, couldn't mm-hmm. deny him, mm-hmm. because I did a paternity test when I got that letter, Right. and I was waiting for her to follow through, and then I was going to pursue legal action to get part of my son's life, Right. because that part was never f- upheld. Right. I no longer had to pay child support. It wasn't support. an option for you. Well, yeah, I thought the kid wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I did find out he was mine 18 years later, mm-hmm. it was kind of a driving force of what turned all this around was because one day if he does come looking for me or I go looking for him, am I going to be the man I want my son to see and meet? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because that possibility is there. And mm-hmm. so I am striving headstrong. I mean, I got a new, I would like to say I got a, a reason for myself. Right. But it's hard for me to have that when I'm still trying to learn to become, what do they call it, self-worth. Yeah, if you don't have a big sense of Mm self-worth, it's like, (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying you say this, but you're like, well, I'm a piece of shit, so why am I worrying about doing that for myself? Right, right, right. But if I got something that I've always wanted to have that may come looking for me one day, and Mm -hmm. yeah, sure, it'd be easier to tell them, hey, you know, it was a good idea not to have you in my life because I learned about anger and all this other stuff that... I broke the cycle without being in your life, but right. Also, I want to be able to say that from a higher stance in life, something that he can look up to. So um, he comes to you and says, "Yeah, I, you know, he is relating his story, and like I responded angrily, or you know, like, hey, Dad, I got my girlfriend. She did something. I got really pissed off, and you know, like, how would you counsel him to to find?" Yeah, just to be a more have a more productive response to that kind of situation than the anger. To walk away while feeling angry. Uh-huh. And discussing whatever it is that you guys are dealing with when you guys are both not angry. Mm-hmm. Because um, that emotion's there and nothing comes good from it. Right. So it's best to, even if you have to split ways and you go to your mom's house, she goes to her mom's house for right. a couple days until you guys can come back and talk 
calmly to one another, loving to one another. Right. And then work out whatever issue is causing this anger problem. Right. Um, because nobody's listening when you're screaming and yelling and putting down and, yeah. you know. Um, so I guess that's probably like, how do you, like, I was just talking to a guy to this morning and it's like, how do you want to feel after that interaction, right? Or right. what are you actually trying what, to, what yeah. You, what's the outcome you want? Right. <laughs> uh -huh. I, like I said, I've yet to ever have any situation that was dealt while I was mad, pissed off, actually come out to the outcome that I what was actually wanting to see. Because mm -hmm. I didn't step away long enough to calm down, gather my thoughts, maybe listen to those feelings, those emotions, mm -hmm. and come back to it. You know? Are you familiar with Brene Brown? Have you read or followed any of her stuff on vulnerability? Yes, actually, I think she was brought, brought up in one of the classes that we have at Mary's, which is, to anybody who's ever been to rehab, New Beginnings is not a rehab, it's a home. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. I, it does not feel like rehab. Um, and Renee Brown was probably one of the lectures I seen somebody right. bring up on a TED Talk, or because the name sounds very familiar. And vulnerability. Her, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the vulnerability thing was something I was going to talk about when men actually do cry and become vulnerable, you become a lot more receptive and not a lot more honest and open within mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, I think, well, I like to encourage men to try and see it. And the only way really to do it is to model it, I think, is that that courage to be vulnerable, to cry in front of people, well, that's, that's actually a courageous act. It takes right. strength and belief. And I know, like, personally, I mean, I've been at train when I was going through my divorce. I, I was like bawling, like, <laughs> out of my nose, you know, eyes thing at training in front of like a dozen men, right? You know, and I've never heard one negative thing about it. People no. are like that guy looks like he's in pain, right? I've never gotten anything negative from when I opened. Like I said, uh, I'm surprised I haven't gotten all teary-eyed now, but maybe it's because... Oh, of your the... voice changes. The okay. energy, <laughs> the energy uh, for you comes off. Like when your son came up and other things, it's right, like it's right. there on you. Yeah, because I find that to be very true. Um, not only that, you look human. Yeah. You don't look like somebody who's been like brainwashed to, you know, speak counseling and all this, you know. When you've lived it and you are expressing it, it needs to come out. And like I said, I was gonna write this whole thing down. Yeah. But it was like, no, that would not, that would take away from my story. Mm -hmm. um, because I remember it just the way I need to remember it because the feelings that mark the memories, that's a Joe Dispenza thing, but that's what makes it authentic. Um, he says that um, a memory is a emotional event that put a signature stamp and caught, made it a memory. Mm -hmm. So it was emotional right. that made it a memory. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times they say we run on autopilot because we're just running off of emotion. Yeah. Um, and his whole thing is mindfulness and being mindful without the, the influence of the body being on an autopilot full of emotion. So when you start choosing to be happy, um, no longer saying, oh, what was me? And you're like, no, I'm gonna choose to be happy. I'm gonna choose not to be stressed out on the freeway in rush hour traffic. So like my understanding, like, so that happiness is a, a curious thing of, is it, are you choosing to be, how do I say this? Is like happy or looking for something positive in the situation or finding gratitude? Because like, like well, in my, like, I don't think it's, I don't think the goal is necessarily good to be happy, but to do meaningful things, right. to find positive things. And then like positive emotions will come and sometimes that's gonna be happy and being upbeat. My roommate downstairs has said that, you know, he lives a certain way of life and the only, po the only possible outcome of doing certain things in life is the possibility of being happy. Mm -hmm. You know, and right. I agree with that 100%. That's why I choose to be happy because I know while being happy, I'm also mindful of those that may not be so happy. So what do you do when you're not happy? Like, do you choose to be happy or positive? Positive. positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, but you know, happy is another spin on positive. Um, right. I'm known for my laugh. You can, it's a, either hate it or love it kind of thing. Right. Um, 
but I try to be happy on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't like my emotion to show too much sadness unless I'm truly sad. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Um, people vibe off of that. Well, I'm curious. I'm kind of challenging you. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, do you no. feel like... I'm, I'm just a discussion. So, you try not to show... I mean, you're. I'm not like a naturally... Well, maybe I'm hell. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's other guy. There's a guy I used to work with, Andy Clinney, and he'd come bouncing into the station like really super up, upbeat, upbeat and really. Right. And I'm not necessarily. I'm more low key. Right. So that whole like upbeat, wow, life of the party. That's not me. But I. But I. Like one of my values is just to be positive, trying to be a positive oh, yeah. influence. And so. And that is definitely. I am that. Uh -huh. I like to speak that positive stuff, but I am. Happy. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, if that's how you feel like you're a happy guy, then that's great. Yeah, you know, um, I just don't think, I think it's danger. It, it's, it sets people up for failure in my experience right. when we say be happy. If they don't, like me, I don't feel like, <laughs> I'm like good natured and mellow, but sure. I'm not. Well, happy. yeah, no, so that's my, my be yourself, saying. I guess, is what we're Yeah, definitely about. so, because I'll tell you what, because I am so happy and go lucky all the time, uh -huh. that let there be a moment where I'm just, neutral I'm just chilling uh -huh. everybody's like what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong and I'm like nothing's wrong I'm just right. on a, that, that level of low-key kind of feeling mm -hmm. but um I don't know so when we like so I'm on the peer support team at my work and so our job is to is to know a little bit more about checking in with people various struggles that they have but like how to check in and so right. like you know I think one of the things that most men's recoil from is like how are you feeling because one guys like I think guys can access like a tenth of the feeling that women oh, you ask a man right. to write down all the feelings he can feel and a woman the woman will write down women in general will write down more but I will agree with that 100 yeah. percent do you um, have like an approach like I like hey where's your head at or what's your thinking or what um, when you're checking in with someone where do you start Usually, I check in with somebody who I can tell is not feeling any kind of, uh, when you just see their body language. Right. You know? Right. It's the head slouched down, you know, they're not making no eye contact. Right. Usually, that's when I'll do a little bit more digging, but, you know, what's on your mind, we want to talk about it, you know, mm -hmm. here's my number if you do want to talk about it. Right. Because I don't ever like to pressure somebody to yeah. open up, because um, eventually, it will come to surface. Yeah, you kind of have to build that relationship sure, for work and build sure. it for right. And uh, like I said, if there's a whole other group of faces down at the center, but I'm down there all the time introducing myself. At New Beginnings? At New Beginnings, yeah. Man, we were there just the other morning on a medical call. Right. And um, the, the person wasn't really sick, and they, they, had a, they had a medical issue that was unrelated to right. like their addiction or re relapsing. But it was so apparent, like the care and love. At that that facility because I, I, I couldn't even tell who was working there and who were I guess the patients or whatever you right. guys call yourselves right or residents right. clients yeah I mean, it was cool it, it, I mean just then people were coming out like hey how's so-and-so and we ended up not taking them right. um, but it was just it was really cool there was apparently there was a really cool supportive connection I've never experienced anything like it uh-huh hands down they know right. what they're doing there, and they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it out of love and compassion of helping others. Right. Um, it's a faith-based program. Uh -huh. um, but I mean, do as Jesus did is how I look at it. And if you keep doing that, you're going to build- Just love, love and acceptance, basically? Yeah. The love bottom is, line? Leave the judgment to God. <laughs> uh -huh. um, let's just love one another and help one another. Um, right. Because yeah, like they say, we were all born into this world of sin and um, we'll never measure up, but we can strive to measure up and we can help each other along that path. Right. You know, they say there's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven for a reason. And so... <laughs> <laughs> it takes more work to get to heaven. Is that the point, it takes, I guess? Uh, well, yeah. it, it takes a decision. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not going to be the main flow of where everybody else is headed. Right. You know, so it's going to be harder to want to take that path because, you know, you don't want to, I want to be doing what everybody else is doing. And right. um, I'm trying to learn the simplicity life of, you know, I don't need, because my thing with my addiction, you know, selling drugs, doing drugs, mm -hmm. was that social aspect of go, 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 go. Right. Um, 
kind of fit my personality. So uh, I'm learning to slow my roll right. and simplify my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a great mentor down there, Randy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I moved in here and had all this stuff. And right. I slowly been going through it and throwing away mindless things that meet no need in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was obviously holding on to it to feel something within myself. Right. Um, now I'm just trying to simplify, simplify, simplify. Because um, my mind is cluttered enough. I don't right. Really Your mind is going pretty quickly. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you can tell it. Yeah. <laughs> you move quick. You talk quick. Yeah. Yeah. Quick uh, to laugh. That's my ADHD right into play. Um, mm-hmm. I remember my grandmother allowing me to sit under her lilac bush and pound on metal TV trays until I was exhausted. Right. I mean, it had to be loud and obnoxious, but that was, I, my nickname was Punky Puss. I was the only grandkid that had a nickname from her. Uh-huh. Um, my grandmother was a uh, Lakota Sioux Indian. Oh, wow. My mom's mom, mm-hmm. but um, she was all community. That's where I think I get it from. Mm-hmm. She was a single mom with six kids, bartender wage. Wow. And a lot of times they were living in a station wagon on West Colfax. Your mother or your grandmother? My grandmother, uh-huh. my mother, my aunts, my uncles uh-huh. um, were a lot of times on the street. And once in a while, grandma could afford a house. Mm-hmm. And when she did, she would cook a big dinner. Mm-hmm. And all the kids that were in foster care and, right. you know, in that struggle, street life, would all come to grandma's house and eat this big meal that she would prepare. And I've heard stories about the police kicking in her front door to look for runaways and the kids oh, wow. would come running out of the house. And wow. Huh. She retired from uh, the Lakewood City Senior Rides Center. She was dispatched, um, dispatching rides to seniors who needed oh, okay. rides to doctor. I remember going to work with her on, the, on Saturdays, meeting all the Lakewood police officers, going to Lakewood Bar and Grill on West Colfax to have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's where my sense of community comes from. I'm just struck by how, like, you know, you've been in, in prison, you've been in jail. Yeah, you've been I have multiple times. I what just I'm pulled really up struck my CBI is, report, and I've been arrested over 37 times. What I'm struck by is like, <laughs> like, and not necessarily for me, like very particularly, but for a lot of people like me, it's like our paths aren't that dissimilar. I mean, for lack of, you know, a break here or there, right? You know, well, I mean, you- I, I, I feel like me and a lot of emergency responders I've worked with have dealt with the exact same issues that you've dealt with, which is the numbing, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, you ended up, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've had, I have a lot of advantages. I had a lot of advantages as far as like my parents were together. My dad had a really pretty well-paying job, you know, college and all that stuff. I was like, wow, the circumstances are. My choices could have landed, like my mom and dad lost their house while I was in rehab. Right. Because that was a community effort to buy that house in Arvada. Right. You know, the whole family kind of helped get it, you know. Right. Mom and dad definitely did the things they had to do of getting their credit going good. and. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first house bought in our family, you wow. know. My mom and dad were together up until a couple years ago, uh-huh. you know. I always had them in my life. Right. Um, I remember wanting to be a firefighter when I was a little kid because our next door neighbor was a firefighter. Uh-huh. And when we moved out of that house, the house we moved into was right by his firehouse. Right. And so I remember him coming up and visiting with my dad and talking. And I just remember always wanting to be a firefighter. Yeah. But the addiction came so early in my life, you know, that dream kind of faded away. And yeah. I was just living in the moment. Um, I dropped out of high school because I had. One teacher humiliated me freshman year of high school. I was always in special ed going through school, you know. Because like ADHD and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would get pulled out of certain classes and just given a little bit more attention. Yeah. So when I get to high school, I wasn't prepared for it at all. And it was your persona was probably like, I'm like, I'm a loser or I'm not smart or whatever it was. I never really had it because school was my go-to. I love school. Oh, really? Yeah, because I always got that special attention, you know. It was an awesome place. When I went to high school, I loved it. I loved photography and all that. Mm-hmm. And, but when I took that first math class and I remember we were getting ready to do an assignment and I was lost just looking at the paper he handed. I'm like, letters and numbers. Right. This ain't like no math I even well, I'm aware of. And so I asked him, I was like, why are letters in a math problem? And 
he made some comment and the whole class laughed at me. And oh, wow, man. That's when I started ditching. I no longer, I was humiliated. Yeah. And that's when I learned that you can never humiliate anybody because, man. Yeah, so I just kind of slipped through the cracks in life, and that's how I ended up in the path of, you know, mm -hmm. messing up and getting in trouble. Um, a lot of dry, reckless driving and driving under restraints. So how do you deal with how do you deal with stress now? Work or out. Work out. Yeah, if I'm stressing out, like for instance, uh, I was working one job when I got here, uh -huh. and uh, they hadn't paid me when I was supposed to get paid, and so I ended up. Look, hooking up with another job that I was actually trying to get, but was taking some time to get that job. And so I'm stressing out about money, money. I don't want to live this, my living environment. I don't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember it was a few days that I was off of work because I wasn't going back until they paid me. And mm -hmm. it was a couple days to get my background check done and my UA done at this other job. Right. So I went out there, grabbed my 40 pound dumbbells and wore myself out. <laughs> so what's your plan if you can't work out? I'm just curious. Um, or like, let's say. You're saying like, because I was in a car accident one time. Mm -hmm. I flatlined. Mm -hmm. um, I hit a retaining wall off 285 and almost lull area where, okay. where that RV park is. Mm -hmm. uh, fell asleep at the wheel. Cardiac arrest. Um, well, yeah, I, it took firefighters almost two hours to cut me out with the jaws of life. But when they did, the pressure came off my body and I flatlined, went into shock. Right. Um, I broke my back, ruptured my spleen, shattered my heel, tore all the ligaments and tendons. Right. Well, so if you went into cardiac arrest from blunt trauma, which right. is, if that's like you're one tenth of one percent, I don't know if you know that, but the stats of people surviving that is like that's ninety nine point nine percent out of a hundred people don't survive that. Well, so that so explains why I had. Reason. Well, yeah. that would explain why I had firefighters coming up and visiting me in the hospital. And saying, yeah. Wow, can't believe you pulled through it. Yeah. Um, the man who actually is responsible for saving my life, who was a traveling, him and his wife traveled the country in a school uh -huh. bus teaching right. dance, and he was a minister. He'd come up and read the Bible to me, uh -huh. bedside in the hospital. Right. And he. Could it just happened by chance. He woke up in the middle of the night, was peeing off the back of the school bus, and he heard me screaming. Oh, wow. I guess I thought I had my girlfriend with me because I was like, is she all right? Is she all right? And oh, so it was like a one-car accident. Yeah, it was just me, middle of the night, went huh. off the road, and... Huh. Well, we've been at 55 minutes. I try and keep these things... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would I, totally do another one with you. I guess, like, where do you want to be in a year? So that's funny, I, I love these questions because I've already did the five-year plan, 10-year plan and wrote them all out, but they've kind of changed. Yeah. Um, I would like to be in one year, I would like to be in a nice solid relationship with somebody I am in love with, uh -huh. somebody I'd like to uh, spend the rest of my life with, uh -huh. um, and pursuing buying my own home. Nice, so setting goals, you have to break those things down, right? So what are you gonna... Well, I do know I gotta establish my credit, uh -huh. get that going good, which right. I just got my first credit card ever. Um, mm -hmm. I fell behind on the payments because I went into the program, but um, <laughs> it's a Capital One one, and right. they're yeah. totally cool. I've right. been in communication with them, let nice. them know the struggle, and right. they're like, you just get yeah. paying on it, because that's my goal is, my credit is not bad. Right. I just never really established it. Right. Um, so yeah, working on establishing my credit, mm -hmm. um, being sober. Yeah. I would love to hit that one mark of sobriety and working a solid program because mm -hmm. I was clean and sober for almost eight years when I went to prison the first time. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't working a program. I was what they like to call a dry drunk. Mm -hmm. um, isolated I wasn't social I just so you just like put your life on hold or you had like isolated from the things that yeah. normally would have made I went you to need school to numb. I went to work right. and I went home right and that led to so you weren't living a life no not right. at all so that led to depression it had a lot to do with when I relapsed because mm -hmm. you know I was searching for connection and I went with anything that right you know right. Um, so now I'm just being more mindful of the type of person I want in my life mm-hmm um, learning to be okay being alone mm -hmm. until that special somebody does come along. So what's your daily kind of routine? Do you like uh, prayer or, I mean, what is it? Like, I wake you... up and I read my daily reading. It's a mm -hmm. Jesus calling, um, mm -hmm. daily reading for a year or something like that. Okay. And is that, is it 
like specific to right rehab and face base? Um, it's it just a faith based. Okay. Um, in my recovery, I got a sponsor. I go to NA. Mm -hmm. um, I just try to. They say do ninety meetings in ninety days on your first few ninety days out. Right. But I'm trying to manage a life at the same time, and recovery does come first. But I gotta get. Gotta go to a job. Gotta get work. Yeah. Right. So I get my faith in the morning. Uh-huh. I hit my knees in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just my humbling way of just giving thanks, asking for guidance, and then listening a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I start my day. And mm -hmm. throughout that day, if I find myself getting tired and not wanting to come up with an excuse, try to leave early, or that's mm -hmm. when I just, I ask the good old Lord to give me the strength. And I got this ring here that says I can do all things through Christ, which is my strength. Great. And that's what drives me is uh -huh. he just gives me the power I need. He gives right. me just what I need. Right. And that's how I get through every day because I don't like to call in sick. Um, if I'm not feeling 100%. I am as soon as I start getting the blood going. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, just take action towards something good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I get off work and Monday nights I go to peer support up at the center. Usually, if I'm not too tired, I'll hit an NA meeting. Mm -hmm. um, Wednesday, oh no, Thursday nights, I do the same routine. Mm -hmm. um, Wednesday, I do an NA meeting, and they got this thing called Soda and Scribbles right after the NA meeting at Sober Underground. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like how you can go drink and paint. Oh, you okay. Know? Well, this is a sober version of it. You drink soda or an energy drink, and right. they do an instructed painting. That's awesome. Yeah, totally cool. So. Dude, I'm just, there was this place in uh, <laughs> Louisville and it was, you know, Louisville's kind of a swanky community, right? Yeah, and yeah. so I'm just picturing, and not to judge them at all, but just these wealthier, like Louisville moms drinking their <laughs> Chardonnay and painting. And then this, you know, whatever, meth, ex-con, like, dude, like, you, you <laughs> right. guys are doing the same thing. I just think it's, that's, that's awesome, My man. mom just, likes to joke that the Martha Stewart has nothing on me because... Right. I don't mind cooking, cleaning, sewing clothes. Um, kind of OCD about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if people, if this was on, I just take a smile on my face. I think that's awesome, right? It's yeah. Just like how, yeah, how similar. Well, we Google wakes me up by my alarm, and it'll tell me the weather, the 